membership team, bad news, we're out of a job. Uh, welcome, everybody. Phil's uh, over in Denver, hanging out with his family. Uh, I think there's a wedding going on. Celebration, it's good. A um, couple announcements we got. Um, we are looking for some help on the worship team. Today, you'll see that there's no one behind the soundboard. We're trying to take our... Um, we're trying to reach people through the live stream. And in order for us to do that, we actually need two people. Well, we have Heather back there. She's always helping. Thank you, Heather. Thank you, Heather. And we have Derek and Tessa that help as well back there with slides. And then Gavin helps up here sometimes. But we're kind of in this transition of trying to make this work well. To give you guys an idea, on Facebook, we get like some data and some input on how many people are viewing and reaching our live stream or our Facebook. Um, when COVID was first happening, we were getting anywhere from like 350 to 400 views a week. Um, I don't know if you know, but our church isn't that big. So um, it is definitely, an out, a, a definitely a way to reach people, and we just want to continue that. So if there's anyone um, interested in helping with that, it'd be great. Um, the other thing is Derek and Tessa are going to college. So we're losing some people back here. So if it's on your heart, if you have questions, it's really not that bad. The worst part in there is just trying to figure out where I'm going to go on the vocals. Like, that's the hardest thing about it is I just, I'll go somewhere and they're not ready for it. Um, it's really just clicking a mouse. Um, so if that's something you're interested in or want to be a part of, come see me and feel about that. Um, the next thing, exciting news. This month we have a fifth Sunday, and we always do something special. And this month we're going to do an all-worship Sunday. It'll be about an hour of just music, music, music. Um, we're going to try. I'm going to try and bring in some some guests, some people that I know that worship other places. And uh, you'll get to see the worship team, like kind of mingle, and, or they'll be up here too. So, um, yeah, we're excited for that. We're looking forward to that. I feel like I'm forgetting something. I think that's all. Oh, Jesus with the skin on. We closed that up, and uh, the church was able to, to donate. Um, thank you for all of your giving. Um, that was you guys that, uh, that gave. I have not presented a check to the Lewis family. I plan on doing that tonight. Um, but thank you for, for being a church, and thank you for showing your love. Um, it, was, it was awesome. We, they, they will be super thankful. <laughs> um, I don't know if that's, I think that's everything. So we get to hear from John this morning. I'm excited about that. Thanks, Nate. How's everybody doing this morning? Good, good deal. So um, sometime back, I was uh, at the house listening to Leland do uh, Waymaker, and I get a little uh, pop-up on the side, and it's like this little chicken guy. So I'm like, what is this? So I click it. And um, I listened to it, and it was awesome, and I subscribed instantly, and I never do that. But when I saw the worship chicken, it's actually worshipin', I think, but I call it worship chicken. But nonetheless, it's awesome, and I have to read. The, the video is awesome, but you have to read some of the comments that, are, that follow. Um, he and his wholesome wife bless the worship chicken. So we now know why the chicken crossed the road to go to church. <laughs> I imagine encouraging people during the song, raise your wings for the king of kings. <laughs> and um, I'll stop with this one. I guess you could say that worshiping is equally yoked. <laughs> so today I'm going to, um, we're going to focus on prayer. I'm going to talk about prayer and um, I'm not going to so much as dig into some of the uh, bolts and nuts of it regarding some of the uh, deep uh, biblical side of it, but we are going to look at some uh, scriptural reference. But what we're going to do is focus on a couple of things. We're going to look at what one man thought was important regarding prayer. That's the how should we pray part of this. And then we're going to look at a life of another person who um, was uh, a Christian. And this is from, um, they were a Christian. So I have um, the first part, 
is going to be from a Samaritan's Purse prayer point. I don't know if anybody gets that or has seen that before, but in the back they always have a prayer focus section. So we're going to look at that for the first part of this, and then the second part is um, We Are Christians. It's a book that we've been reading at the house. So um, since we're talking about prayer, we should probably start off with a little prayer. Dear Lord, we thank you for so much. We just want to come to you today as a, a group, as a fellowship, that we could um, ask you to be in our presence and just hope that you would hear us, that I would just be a mouthpiece for you, that you would flow into people's lives, that we could hear your word and that we could go out this week and just be full of who you are and less of who we are. We thank you that um, you do hear us, and it's because of your son Jesus and our faith in him. So thank you, Jesus, for that, for making a pathway to heaven to us. And we love you so much. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay. So, how should we pray? We're going to focus on some writings by Andrew Murray. Again, this is taken from uh, Samaritan's Purse, prayer point from the spring of 2020. Andrew Murray lived back from 1828 to 1917, and do I have a picture of him, Heather? Perhaps not. Anyway, Andrew Murray from 1828 to 1917. Andrew Murray was, um, his parents were Scottish missionaries to South Africa. He was a member of the Dutch Reformed Church, which I don't know much about. Um, He was educated in the Netherlands. He um, received his master's in 1845, and then he returned to South Africa. He was a South African writer, teacher, and Christian pastor. Andrew Murray, not until he finished his general studies, and he began his theological training in the Netherlands, did he experience a conversion. In a letter that he wrote to his parents, Murray said, Your son has been born again. I have cast myself on Christ. And um, Christ is our rock. Either we cast ourselves upon him, or he will cast himself upon us in, in judgment. So we want to abide in him. Andrew Murray um, was quoted as saying, God rules the world by prayers of the saints. That prayer is the power by which Satan is conquered. That by prayer, the church on earth has a disposal of the powers in the heavenly world. That's um, a very true statement. That being the case, I believe, as long as we are in agreement with God and, and who he is, again, being less of ourselves and, and more of what he's about. Andrew Murray says, I must be filled is absolutely necessary. I may be filled. God has made it blessedly possible. I would be filled. It is imminently desirable. I will be filled. It is so blessedly certain. I love that. I must be filled. I may be filled. I would be filled. And I will be filled. Andrew Murray, again, he pastored several churches in South Africa, and um, the information that I found on the internet was that he published and written, uh, had written 200 books and tracts in both Dutch and English. So he was definitely about the, the Lord's business. He was a man after God's own heart. So we're going to jump into the prayer point information that I um, retrieved from that. There are eight points that we're going to focus on to go through that, and then we're going to jump into um, the the next section of this. So the first thing that um, Andrew Murray said was, pray with absolute confidence that God will be on our side. When we pray, the devil will make us feel sinful and horrible about ourselves. We'll never come to the place of being holy enough for God to hear our prayer. And when is God on our side? We're talking about um, 
God is on our side. But when is God on our side? I think God is on our side when we're on his side. When we're about his business, he's on our side. When we're not about his business, I don't think he's um, going to be behind everything that we do. Do you ever feel um, sinful and unworthy? Do you ever feel bad about your past and about things that you've done? Do you ever feel like you're not holy enough to be in God's presence? I think we've all felt that. I think we've all felt that in any point of our lives, whether it's um, you know at, at home, whatever you're doing at the house, or even per, for myself, even in the middle of a prayer, I've been attacked by Satan and you know worked over to where I didn't think I should have been in his presence. But remember when that happens that you want to remember that um, we have an advocate in Christ Jesus. He's our mediator. He's our kinsman redeemer. He is on our side. He is for us. Rather, we stand before the Lord pure, transparent, and righteous because it is a gift he has given us through his Son. He answers prayer not based on how great or mighty or holy we are. It is his grace. It is a gift. God sees us, again, not on our own accord, but he sees us through the lens of Jesus. He sees us as being holy and pure based on what Jesus has done. And again, this is unmerited favor. That's what grace is, unmerited favor. It's nothing that we can do. It's all what he did. Number two, pray with a thankful heart. Be committed to thank him for what he has done for who he is, and for what he will do. Praise him. Give him glory. When you come before the Lord, look back and see what he has already done for you. Be ever thankful. Be ever thankful. There's always something to be thankful for, and we should always look for that as we're going to God. I, myself, when I'm praying, I like to start my prayers by being thankful. It's, it's, if you don't know what to pray, there's always something to be prayful thankful for. Start in prayer and work your way from there. That will be a good catalyst to get you going. What he has done, who he is, what he will do. Read your Bible and know about this God of ours that loves us so much so you can actually be in communion with him. Then you can properly praise him and glorify him. What has he done? Remember what um, the Israelites were doing and what they were thinking as they were going through the desert. How many times in the Bible, in the Old Testament, does it, does it say, remember what he did for them at the Exodus? Many times they needed to remember that because they would fall away, but they needed to keep that in mind. So what has he done for you? So thank him for all that. Look forward also to see what the Lord has promised to do and thank him in advance for what he will do. Again, be thankful. Have thankful hearts. Be thankful for his promises. And what are these promises? What are these mysteries? Paul talks about mysteries. This promise is that his son's life, death, and resurrection gives us eternal life as we trust in him. We think about that and we know that, but you have to live that. You have to keep that you know, ever-present in your mind so you can go about being about his business be the best people that we can be for God. Number three, pray remembering your relationships with others. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors, it says in Matthew. When you pray, make sure there is no bitterness, anger, or unforgiveness in your heart. When I, when I looked at this, the, the relationships thing, the, the first thing that comes to mind for me is, is family. You know, don't Hold on to anger. Don't hold on to grudges. When you blow it, say you're sorry. When you know you've blown it, go to them. That um, spirit of uh, forgiveness will just uh, release you. Um, again, when I pray and when, when I'm thinking about these types of things, I, I always start with the three of us, with the net and Gabriel and myself. That's the core of who our family is. I start there. Then I work out her family, my family, goes out from there to church, relative, um, further out relatives, 
neighbors, and then I end up praying for everybody. Because when you think about it, you know, we have relationships with people, but at the same time, what is God's heart for people? He doesn't love me any more than he loves anybody else on this planet. Everybody needs that prayer, and while it might not be specific and it might be generic, I just like to end with that because I know that God's heart is for everyone, and it's not just for myself or the people around me, but if we can have a mindset for who he is and what he is doing and his perspective a little bit, as much as we can, I think that's, again, a good catalyst and a good means for us to um, be active in prayer. In Matthew um, chapter 5, going back to um, forgiving us of our debts, leave your offering there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother, then come and present your offering. And likewise in Ephesians chapter 4, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving each other just as God in Christ also has forgiven you. So if you have these sort of feelings of unforgiveness, ask the Lord to give you true forgiveness and love for the individual. Ask the Lord to help you love him as he loves him. John talks, John talks much about love in his gospel. John chapter 13, he says, A new commandment I give you, that you love one another even as I have loved you, that you also love one another. And again, chapter 15 of John, he says almost the same thing again. This is my commandment, that you love one another just as I have loved you. And why do we do this? What does it say in First John? That God is love. God doesn't just love, but he is love. Number four, be specific in your prayers. Ask him for exactly what you need. What do you need to sustain his work and accomplish his will? Don't pray in general terms. Have specific things that you want God to answer. Don't tell him how to answer, but be specific in what your needs are. So look at what Murray says here. He says, ask him for what you need. What do you need for your own life to make yourself more comfortable? No, it doesn't say that. It says to sustain his work and to accomplish his will. It's not about us, but it's about him. And again, about being in communion with him and what he's about. Again, do we pray specifically or generically? You have to be led in the spirit to pray, to be in communion with God, to pray, to be about his business and about what's being, what you're being led to pray for. Pray with a burden. Breakthrough in prayer comes through a heart that has been burdened by the Holy Spirit. How do we get this burden? We simply seek it. We say, Lord, what is on your heart? Pray with the burden as you draw near to God. As you draw nearer to him, he will manifest his thoughts and his desires for you. Again, how do you draw near to God? What do you do? What do you do for that? You read his word is one way. And when you read his word, you go into prayer with him. It's uh, kind of a paradox in a sense. You read his word and you pray, and that's how you draw near to him in prayer. Then he brings thoughts and gives us the burden to intercede. He wants us to enter into the reality of what he feels for the suffering humanity all around us. He wants to share us he wants to share with us his burdens and his joy in seeing these prayers answered. Look at what he says there. He says, give us. He wants for us. Shares with us. He wants us to work in conjunction with him. And I always go back and I think about the early part of Genesis and how God made us to be in coordination with him. He gave us the authority and dominion to be working with him in conjunction to get his will done on the planet. That's still the same today as it was back in Genesis. We're still, as Christians, supposed to be in communion with him to do his will. We've got to be in, in um, relationship with him to know what that is so we can be about his work 
in the kingdom here on earth. It's, again, it's an already but not yet kingdom. When Jesus came, he came, and he said, the kingdom of God is nearer. Then he went to heaven. He's the head in heaven, and we are the hands and feet. Today, we are Christians to be about his business. And does God really need us to do anything? Does he need us to do anything? Of course he doesn't. But again, he wants to work in conjunction with, with who we are. He made us in his image to bring glory to him. He wants to share his burdens with us. He wants us to seek him in prayer and to advance his kingdom on earth. Again, as it is in heaven, um, should be on earth. Number six, pray in faith. Pray in faith. All things are possible to him who believes, it says in Mark chapter 9. I don't understand how it works, but God said as we pray, we must keep believing that he has answered. Pray in faith. When I was doing the study for this, I looked at the word faith, and I did a word search on the word faith. The word faith shows up four times in the Old Testament. Four times. In the New Testament, 246 times. 246 times. So when I was at the house, I mentioned that to Danette and Gabriel, and Gabriel said, now that's something. And we talked about it, and, you know, just think about it a little bit. We were in agreement that in the Old Testament, God manifests himself more to the Israelites through prophets and kings and, and things like that. But today... It's 2,000 years since the Messiah has been on earth. That's why he's talking a lot about faith. You've got to have faith for, for the, the long haul, if you will. We're, we're still waiting for that return, the joyful hope of that. But we have to have faith. You have to keep your eye on the ball. We have to keep focused on him through faith. Or else the world, especially as it is today, and as crazy as it is, is you're going to get steamrolled. Got to keep focused on the king. The believing comes from him. Faith is not something we can work up in ourselves. The father of the afflicted son did that. He said to Jesus, Lord, I believe. Help in my unbelief. I'm going to open my Bible here, and we're going to look at that a little bit. So when you look at that story in Mark, it's interesting to break that down a little bit. In verse 22, the father says of the son, if you can do anything, he says to Jesus, right? In verse 23, you're likely going to see in your Bibles, if you can believe, all things are possible. But some of the ancient manuscripts say, if you can. So it's like, Jesus is saying, if you can, all things are possible if you believe. So that belief word is left out. It puts a little bit of different spin on it. So Jesus is saying, if, what do you mean if? All things are possible if you believe. Verse 24, the dad says, I believe, but help my unbelief. And then in verse 25, as people ran together, Jesus cast out the unclean spirit. The people ran to gather to that scenario, to that situation, to that point, and Jesus cast out the unclean spirit. So the man believed the spirit was cast out, and the unbelief, the unbelief was helped, I believe, by the gathering of that crowd. What makes this really interesting is the parallel story in Matthew 17. I'm going to read you one verse from that and I'm going to put on my cool glasses so I can actually see it so same story in Matthew verse, um, chapter 17 verse 17 then Jesus answered and said oh faithless and perverse generation how long shall I be with you he goes on to talk about that he rebukes the spirit it comes out verse 19 then the disciples came to Jesus privately and said to him, Why could we not cast it out? Here's the key. Verse 20. So Jesus said to them, Because of your unbelief. 
So think about that scenario and that situation. The disciples come up to that guy. My kid's got a problem, unclean spirit. He keeps throwing himself, you know, into the fire and so on. So the disciples are like, yeah, we'll do that. We'll give it a crack. But they didn't do it. So think about the dad. The dad's like, you know, then Jesus shows up and he's talking to him. Well, yeah, I believe, but help my unbelief. I just saw your guys. They didn't do anything. So I believe, but I, I'm having a problem here because it didn't work. And then, you know, the rest of the story occurs. The crowd gathers. Jesus did what Jesus does. He took, he took care of it. So I just wanted to um, dive into that a little bit. I found that pretty interesting as I was looking into this. Then he goes on to the, the famous um, line where it says, have faith like a mustard seed, the faith can move mountains. Again, keep focused on the person of Jesus as you're going about your life. Keep that faith squarely on him. Crazy times, when you walk out that door, now is the time to focus on him more than ever. Okay. Point seven, pray in the Holy Spirit. Sometimes we don't know how to pray when God lays a burden on our hearts, but the Holy Spirit can pray through us. It can be in language, a language that nobody understands. God's Spirit lives inside us and can intercede for us to convey that which is limited in our flesh and in our minds. It's God in us talking to God in heaven. When you get a chance, go home, open up uh, the book of Acts and look at Pentecost. Remember in Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit came and uh, appeared as little flames above everybody's head? That, once, that is a, uh, going back to my uh, picture types and to my um, liking to piece things together in the Bible, that's the same fire that the Israelites were following when they were walking through the desert. Sorry about that. Trust me, I wouldn't do that if I could help it. (laughs) So it can be in groanings too deep for words. God is so wonderful that when we don't know how to pray, the Holy Spirit intercedes through us. When our ability to pray comes to an end, God takes over. And he talks about um, Romans 8.26. Romans 8.26 from the New King James says, Likewise, the Spirit also helps in our weakness. For we do not know what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself makes intercession for us in groanings which we cannot utter. And then the next verse, in verse 27, Now he who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is, because he makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God. There's a lot packed into those two verses, and I'm not going to dig into that at this point, but I just love the way that he goes into that and that um, he searches um, the hearts to know the minds of the Spirit because he makes intercession for us, for the saints. And that is according to what? The will of God. Number eight. Our God is eager to hear our prayers. Prayer is not does not need to be an activity we engage in for only an hour each morning. Rather, let us live in the atmosphere of prayer, our hearts continually being lifted up to him. And in my notes when I was reading this, the first thing that jumped out at me about this is only an hour each morning. That's ha-ha on me. I'm sorry, but I, I don't go praying for an hour each morning. I will say that I like to try to, you know, have... Uh, it's an analogy of having, you know, windows open on your PC. Always keep the God window open. You have to do your job. I personally need to focus and do things, but you always have to have that God window open so you can be where you need to be with him. That's all I had for um, Andrew Murray. I just um, wanted to share that with you, and when I read that, I thought it was worth to share with the rest of you and what he had to say about prayer. We're going to move on from that. We're going to go to our We Are Christians by uh, Cristobal Crusen. 
and the subtitle of that is The Inspiring Faith of Men and Women Who Changed the World. We're going to focus on somebody that we all know and love, I think, and that's Abraham Lincoln. He lived from 1809 to 1865, and I wish you could see the picture of Lincoln. It's digitally enhanced, but the picture of him, he burns right through you with the concentration, with the focus that he had. It's, it's an amazing um, picture and an amazing life, somebody in our, um, in our history. So Abraham Lincoln, um, as you probably know, is our 16th president. He issued the Emancipation Proclamation in 1862, and it went into effect and freed the slaves in January of 1863. He later gave his Gettysburg Address later in 1863. And um, I have a man of prayer, question mark. We're going to pursue that and see what that's all about. So the Emancipation Proclamation, quoted from that, he says, I do order and declare that all persons held as slaves within said designated states and parts of states are and henceforth shall be free. So, good job. Good job, Abe. In the Gettysburg Address, he says, and famously quoted, um, Fourscore and seven years ago, our fathers brought forth on this continent a new nation conceived in liberty and dedicated to the proposition that all men are created equal. So listen to what he said. Slaves freed, men created equal. Yet in recent times, if you've watched any news at all over the past couple of months, there would be those who would want to remove this guy's statue from some of our public places. This being the person who freed the slaves. It should be just the opposite in my mind. I mean, what do I know? But when I think of what he did, it was an amazing thing to do. Just an extraordinary thing. Yes, all men are created equal. His mother, Nancy Hanks, influenced Abe early, teaching him to read from the Bible and memorize things like the Ten Commandments. And later in life, he would go on to say, all I am and ever hope to be, I owe to my angel mother. And that makes me think of um, what it says in Proverbs, chapter 22, verse 6. (laughs) It's okay. He says in Proverbs, train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. I've I've seen and heard that so many times in life, but train them up as a child. When they're old, they will come back to the faith. And this verse will be important as we um, proceed. As a young teen, Abraham read many books, including books like The Pilgrim's Progress, and we know Abe as um, Honest Abe and as I was reading the book there's a story in there where he was working at a mercantile and I guess somebody overpaid a few cents for an item he walked six miles to return that so Honest Abe is uh, that, that fits the bill for sure While reading books, he um, was reading books like the Enlightenment thinkers, the Enlightenment thinkers. And with that, he became a skeptic of Christianity. Personally, I haven't been, and I'm not a Lincoln historian and don't know much about him, but it was sure interesting to read this and to read about his um, skepticism of Christianity this time in his life he got into politics and he was elected to the house of representatives while his views on religion softened softened he still wondered though if there was a god 
during this part of his life, Abraham Lincoln got married. And um, he always remembered, though, what his, um, his angel mother said and the prayers that they said together, which is not unremarkable because she died when he was only nine years old. Abe came across a book, and I'm going to try to read you the name of this in one breath. He came across the book entitled, The Christian's Defense, Containing a Fair Statement and Impartial Examination of the Leading Objections Urged by Infidels Against the Antiquity, Genuineness, Credibility, and Inspiration of the Holy Scriptures, Enriched with Copious Extracts from Learned Authors. Now, can we please repeat that? <laughs> Just kidding. But that's author um, James Smith who wrote that book. He himself, this is really funny, author James Smith himself was a religious skeptic. He was a skeptic who enjoyed making fun of country preachers until he himself was converted at a camp meeting and became a revivalist Presbyterian. So it, it can happen to anybody. Just need to hear the word. After reading this book, a, a lawyer, remember, was quoted as saying, the argument in favor of the divine authority and inspiration of the scriptures was unanswerable. So when you look at that and you think about that quote, sometimes in faith, you have to eliminate all the um, outrageous or all the other possibilities and when you do that, even though you might not see specifically what you're looking for, by faith, you will, you will have your answer because you've eliminated everything else that will leave you only one possibility. And in this case, that one possibility is the authority of the scriptures that they are unmatched. And it sounds to me like Abe, you know, he divided it and he found it to be, to be the way. So Abe began, um, Abe and his wife began to attending Smith's church, and he rented a pew in the front. So is that, <laughs> just kidding. He, he occasionally spoke um, by request. I didn't know you could rent pews, actually. Um, but Abe didn't join the church, which um, back in those days was a rarity. He says, and I quote, I cannot, without mental reservations, assent to long and complicated creeds and catechisms. If the church would ask simply for assent to the Savior's statements of the substance of law, thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy mind, and thy neighbor as thyself, then that church I would gladly unite with. And when I read that, that makes me think of um, our church here. We focus on the core of who Christ is, and we can have discussions and debates on some of the periphery things, which, which is all good, but we focus on the important things. So Abe got back into politics. He helped to form the Republican Party. He ran for Senate, and he lost that Senate race um, as I understand it from reading about this, the um, sitting senator, um, I guess the way they did the elections back then, it wasn't a popular vote, but it was a um, legislative vote. So the sitting senator won that Senate race, yet due to some stirring debates that he had with the sitting senator, he got a name for himself. Very long story short, he was elected to be the 16th president of the United States in 1860. So with civil war on his mind, in the farewell address to Springfield, Illinois, where he was from, he says, without the assistance of that divine being, whoever attended to Washington, George Washington, I cannot succeed, but with assistance, I cannot fail. Trusting in him, who can go with me and remain with you and be everywhere for good, let us confidently hope 
that all will yet be well. To his care, commending you, as I hope in your prayers, you will commend me. And I love the Washington and God reference in, in that quote there, and that of prayer. So war begins, civil war begins. Friend James Murdoch was a guest of his at the White House, and James um, was having a hard time sleeping one day, so he's roaming the halls a bit in the White House, and he sees a door open, cracked there, so he peers in, and he sees Lincoln on his knees at an open window, peering up into the night sky, and he's saying in tones pleading and sorrowful, asking God to give him the wisdom he had once given to Solomon. He says, I cannot guide the affairs of this nation without thy help. I am poor and weak and sinful. O God, hear me and save this nation. O God, hear me and save this nation. I'm going to stop right now, and I'm going to say a prayer, a little bit about that, if, if I can. Lord, we, um, we heard the words of um, Abraham Lincoln and his cry and his plea to save this nation. We are likewise poor and weak and sinful. And the things we've seen on the news regarding our nation, it's, it's distressing, to say the least. We just pray that you would be with our nation, that we could be people about your business, not looking inward, but looking out and having your perspective on people and loving them like you love us. We do pray for our nation that we could be united as one under you because that through Jesus and his saving grace that this nation can be what you would have it to be, but only through who he is. Just pray that people would recognize that, recognize Jesus as the Savior and as the Prince of Peace. In Jesus' name, amen. President Lincoln was once asked, what would have happened if Confederate General Lee would have won at Gettysburg? And what would have happened if he would have marched on into Washington? And his response was, oppressed by the gravity of our affairs, I went into my room one day, locked the door, got down on my hands and got down on my knees before the Almighty God and prayed to him mightily for victory at Gettysburg. And I then and there made a solemn vow that Almighty, to Almighty God that if he would stand by our boys at Gettysburg, I would stand by him. And he did, and I will. After that, I don't know how it was, and I can't explain it, but soon a sweet comfort crept into my soul that things would go all right at Gettysburg. And that is why I have no fears about you. The sweet comforter, the comforting of the Holy Spirit had no fears. That's what God does. That's what, when you have faith, you have no fear. That's what the Bible says. Okay, the new Salem skeptic had become the praying president the Springfield, Illinois skeptic is now the praying president. Is our president praying? It's a good question. We would like to hope so. We've heard him say things that are in favor of Christianity. I guess the better question, we don't know if he is or not, but the better question is, are you praying for our president? I find myself, um, I don't know if I mentioned this a month ago or whatever, but I find myself praying more for some of the leaders that I'm not crazy about. Um, I'm mostly, the, I'm talking about the governor, but anyway. <laughs> <laughs> so things are looking good, right? Good deal. We're, 
right on, love your enemies, absolutely. That's, again, the one verse in the Bible that I just always struggle with a little bit. So, better times are ahead, right? The war, the war is winding down. The president was reelected in 1864. So, Good Friday. Again, this is something that I learned recently. It's Good Friday. It's 1865, the spring of 1865. In the morning, President Lincoln had held a cabinet meeting. Later in the afternoon, he went for a carriage ride with his wife. And that evening, they went to Ford's Theater. According to the book, the theater thing wasn't necessarily his personal preference, but he did that um, for his wife. They were having a nice day. They went to the theater. During the play, the president and his wife speculated about what they might do after the war. Now listen to this. I had never heard this before, you know, secular school and so forth, but look at what this says. He says, we will go abroad among strangers where I can rest. We will go to the Holy Land and see those places hallowed by the footsteps of the Savior. There is no place I so much desire to see as in, according to the book, Jerusalem gets halfway out of his mouth, and then John Wilkes Booth comes up behind him, fires a single shot from a 44 Derringer in the back of his head. Hours later, he passes away in a room that's generally um, quiet. Someone finally was able to say a prayer, and President Lincoln passes away at 56 years old. The last part of this book, I'm going to read um, what it says and share this with you. Okay. The author says, I have to wonder if we'll see a leader like him again in the public square. I wonder if society has become too sophisticated to allow a self-taught man to rise to the top or to trust a president who takes the Lord's counsel over the results of the latest opinion poll. But one should not abandon hope or grow weary. Perhaps there is currently a young child who wants to be president when they grow up. Perhaps they will be good and decent and kind and point the country back to the timeless truths of old. Perhaps we will see the new birth of freedom in this nation under God. It's worth believing and hoping for. Amen to that. So, we're talking about prayer and the intercession of prayer and the supplication of prayer. We intercede for one another through prayer, and God has given us this authority to act on his behalf and that we are his hands and feet. Again, we are little Christs. We are Christians that can make a difference in people's lives through prayer. And it's just like Jesus did when he walked on the earth. He's now in heaven, and he has now given us that responsibility. Through the assistance of the Holy Spirit, he is doing the same thing for us. He's doing the same thing in heaven as we are doing here. Think about that. He is interceding for us there. We are interceding for one another here. Like I've said before, we're all one big family in that God wants to work with us and he wants to use us to get things done. So he wants us to pray for each other, to be in communion with him, to be about his business and about his will. You got to know him. You have to draw near to him so you can have that relationship with him so you can know what you're doing and, and who to pray for. The Bible says to, Paul says to pray at all times. Well, the reality of the situation is 
can I do that? Again, we have other things going on in life and other responsibilities, but I think that's the goal, at least to have that, again, that window open, that God window open, and to keep it um, where it needs to be. Another prayer focus that I want to end with, it says, there's a scripture that suggests to us in a striking way the importance of praying for others. Samuel had been set aside by the people in their eagerness to have a king. For a moment in their consciences, um, they were awakened to a sense of their sin, and they came to him with a request that he would pray for them. His answer was, God forbid that I should sin against the Lord in ceasing to pray for you. Did you get that? He said, God forbid that I would sin in not praying. What I think that means is, if God lays it on your heart to pray for somebody, to love your enemies, to pray for your enemies, and you don't, it sounds to me like what the Bible says is that's a sin. You need to be in communion with God, and you need to be about his business to know what you should and shouldn't be doing. If God says, pray for somebody, do that. That's what our, one of our greatest purposes is here. We focus on him so we can do the things um, around us, right? Let's end in prayer. Lord, again, we thank you for so much. We thank you for this time together. We thank you that you'll be present with us and that we could um, hear about some great teaching from someone from the days past. And we're thankful that we could um, get a better understanding and that my eyes were surely open and understanding more about President Lincoln and the type of person he was. And I didn't mention it, but he lost two young children in his life. He struggled with things. But ultimately, we have his words and that he was a praying president. And it's great to know that. We pray for our nation. We pray for our leaders. We pray for our president, that he would be a praying president, that um, our nation could be all that you would have it to be, that we would be about your business, that we would be less of ourselves and more of who you are. We thank you, Lord, for this time, and um, please help us go out and have a good and prayerful week. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. And we do have food if you would like to partake in that.